Well, hello, Open Arms, and today I get to talk about two of my favorite things. Uh, one is my historical figure, a, a guy called John Newton, and we're going to find out what his subject matter is. But John Newton built a business as a slave trader way back in the 1700s, and what he did was he captured West Africans from the, the west coast of Africa and sold them right across the world. But one day, the grace of God put the fear of God into the heart of John Newton himself. He was terrified. There was a shipwreck, and this shipwreck was off the Donegal coast. And Newton began to read during this time the imitation of Christ by a guy called Thomas Kempis. And the book was used in a, in a real way to give him a genuine conversion and a dramatic change in this man's life, but also in the history of England and many for many people right across the world. Newton was, he really saw the error of his ways as a slave trader. But he became a really good figure and a really good man very, very quickly. He joined the evangelical church. He became a minister. And he was a major player also in the slave trade, in getting it finally, finally abolished in the UK in 1807, which was a really big deal. But when you listen to my voice, we're talking about something that's what, just a little over 200 years ago. The interesting thing, anyone who's ever been to a little small island called Haiti, Haiti, they, they, they got their freedom in 1804. And if you're Irish and you're listening to me, we as a modern Ireland, we only got our freedom from England in 1922. So we're not talking that long ago when we talk about these subjects. But the grace of God took John Newton on a lifelong journey and we call it the Grace Academy. And we need also to take that journey of grace. We all need, whether you're there and you don't know God from Adam, or you're here and you're listening to my voice and you say, Peter, I've known about God's grace all of my life. We need to be students of God's grace. John Newton became a minister of the gospel at the age of 39. And this is when he began to write hymns for his congregation. And it's interesting, what they would do was they would have a Wednesday night Bible study, and back then it was the habit of the minister to write some kind of a hymn or a psalm or a poem. And that's where Amazing Grace came out of. And we know some of the words. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And one of the questions that I keep asking myself and it's the challenge is, is grace still amazing? The first encounter I had, 27th of September, 1991, about 12 noon in Galway. Do I still go back to that place in my mind and my heart? Am I still excited about that first encounter with grace himself, whose name is Jesus? And our main scripture today comes from Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. And Father, I pray, Lord, as we, Lord, not just read your word, well, as we open up your word, that spirit of the Lord, that you would give us, Lord, fresh revelation of something we had not either seen or perceived or experienced before. That indeed, Lord, we would leave this place, we would leave this message, this screen, wherever you are, with a greater impact of the grace of God on your life. So Ephesians 2, 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we could spend the next 50 Sundays just looking at that one Scripture, but we're going to just look at a few verses. Verse 5 says, it is by grace you have been saved. Verse 8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved. That whole emphasis that, that, on, on, on this Scripture. Paul uses the same introduction in 12 of his apostles. He says, grace and peace to you. He uses it in Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians 1 and 2, Timothy 1 and 2, Titus, and Philemon. So, so grace is the startling truth about the heart and attitude of God. And it affects absolutely everything, every aspect in heaven and on earth. His grace is every day. It reaches back into our history. It is woven into our story from birth to present, and it stretches out into our future. It is available every single day, every moment of our lives, in every situation and every circumstance. So, so grace is so, so important to us. And our experiences of divine grace, or lack of it, will shape the very next moment how we live out the rest of our lives, how we think, how we treat people, how we think about ourselves, how we think about God, our worldview, everything comes in that concept of divine grace. So, God's grace is, is huge. It's a massive, massive subject. And our, extend, our understanding and acceptance of grace will affect, of course, our friendships. How, how do you interact with one another? Our attitudes to singleness, to marriage, to how we treat our parents, to how we treat our children. It will affect the 30 different nationalities that we have in Open Arms Church. Grace will determine whether we can worship together in unity of the Holy Spirit or not. It will determine how we work out relationships within our own race and also different ethnicities. How we take care of the poor, the sick, those who are just not well among us, both in, in mind and spirit, how we reach out to those who perhaps are not part of the kingdom of God. It touches our Monday mornings along with our Sunday mornings. It shapes our approach to work, to fun, to worship, and indeed to prayer. Grace will impact me mentally, emotionally, and physically right through. And here's a quote from a, a Christian clinical psychologist. Her, her name is Anne Balfour. She said this, In over 20 years of working as a clinical psychologist with Christians, I have discovered that grace is something not rooted in, in people's personal experience, and therefore one that I'm passionate about and end up exploring in sessions with my clients. When I ask people, how do they think about how God sees them? They frequently say this, they see me as sinner, dust of the earth, a lowly worm, condemned. It's as if they've had filters to remove 
God's promises and God's words that say that we're loved, that we're saved by grace, that say that we're a new creation. Seeing instead a harsh God of demands and judgments and conditions to be met. When I ask, where did they get this information? They quote Bible verses, but leave out the vital ones. For instance, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave. Or perhaps they quote a sermon. And I wonder sometimes if ministers are fearful of people loving God and doing what they like, and so therefore they don't preach grace to its fullest extent. I would love to hear more talk and demonstrate demonstrations of true and full grace, that unconditional love that as Christians we have to corner. I would love to hear more about grace because it would make my job much easier. Another counselor wrote this. He said, we read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the levels of our emotions. So, so what's this guy trying to express to us? It's that somehow we can have head knowledge. You, you could have an ology of anything, but somehow it has to drop the greatest distance in the universe from here to your heart. The grace of God must penetrate us emotionally as well. So how about us? How about you who are listening right now? What words do you hear God speaking to you? How do you interpret the, the grace of God and what God is saying to you? So here again some questions. Number one, how does God see me? What are the words going on in your head? A mistake? Sinner? Failure? Condemned? Never quite getting it. Oh, not a real Christian. Always falling short never quite getting there. Or perhaps you've taken the truths of this book, the Bible, and you've changed your thinking, and you've worked hard at changing your thinking and believing the Word of God that says that we are loved. I am a child of God. I am cherished. I am redeemed. I am a new creation. Because these are the promises of God, and that's by living out the grace of God. A second question today is this, who are the people you most struggle with? Who are the people or indeed the personalities that you struggle with, that you, you even find it hard to think about applying the grace of God to them? A great question is this, do they remind you of yourself? Are you afraid that you might turn out like them? Are you afraid that perhaps that was you? once. And it would seem that when we look at the world and how we're brought up, that a fair, balanced world, grace is unfair. Grace is not applicable in our lives, because we have to work hard. We have to be pulled up by our boots. We have to put ourselves together in our finances and our families and do whatever it was. It's just not fair. And the author of a great book called What's So Amazing About Grace by a guy called Philip Yancey. I just reading the other day, he has comments and questionnaires and stuff, even though he wrote the book back in the 90s. But this is something I, I read from him the other day. It says, the critics are right. Grace is unfair. Yeah, grace is unfair. We deserve God's wrath. What do we get? 
We get God's love. We deserve punishment. And what do we get? We get forgiveness. We do not get what we deserve. We get something that we didn't earn. And in a sense, we get something we didn't even ask for because we didn't think we could get it. Paul put it ironically. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You see, we work hard for our wages, which vanish at death. We do nothing to deserve grace, but what do we do? We get eternal life. He goes on to say, if you want fairness, try a religion like Hinduism, which says that we might have to go through thousands, even millions of incarnations before paying for all of our sins. It's unfair that a human rights abuser, a guy called Saul, that is for you, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament epistles, he, what did he do? He killed Christians. He had them jailed. But what did he receive? He received forgiveness. Jesus called him to be one of his disciples to go and preach the gospel. Or a murderer, an adulterer like King David. Or a thief hanging on the cross who had a conversion just before death. Oh, yes, it's unfair, gloriously unfair, I would say. Wow. Ephesians 2.4 again, remind ourselves. But because of His great love for us, His great love for us, our Father, because of His great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we were His enemies, even when we had our back turned to God, that's when He died for us. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, John Newton knew that he was a sinner, but he also knew he was saved by grace. And just before his death, he penned these words. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Let us remember those words and put them in our heart that we will never forget where we've come from and who's bringing us on the next destination. What does the song say? The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. John Newton got the gospel. The gospel is we are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. I am saved by grace. And so for so many Christians, we accept Christ by grace. That's where we start the journey, but somewhere or another, we continue on the journey as if it were by our own effort. And we begin to pick up baggage. We, we begin to, to carry loads of stuff with us that remains in our memory bank and we continue to carry it. You know, years ago, back in the 90s, there was a great movie out called The Mission. Robert De Niro, he played a guy called Rodrigo Mendoza, a slave trader who killed his brother in a fit of jealous rage. The interesting thing was he, he went away to a monastery, a Jesuit monastery, and uh, he could never accept forgiveness. He could never accept that he was cleansed. He always felt guilty. He would do fasting and prayer. But at one stage, there was a group of missionaries going to the Amazon, and they asked him to come. He decided to go. 
But what he did was he took a big uh, bag of armor. It was quite heavy. And he, he carried it by dragging a rope behind him. And as they were going across rivers and up the mountains, he kept dragging this and dragging this as if this was the penalty. This was his sin. This was his shame. This was his guilt that he could never let go. So here is this guy going to the Amazon, out to a former people who had never encountered Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus Christ that he had never applied to his own life. And if you ever watched the movie, there's a great scene where eventually he drags it and he comes to one of the villages and this guy runs out almost naked with a knife and he cuts the rope off and cuts the load and it falls back down the mountain. And he began to cry because somehow or another, by the action of someone who didn't even know Jesus, he saw grace for the very first time. And he walked out of that place and the heavy load was gone. And the question for you today and for me, what stuff are we carrying with us? What have I allowed to keep pulling me and pulling me and pulling me down? Oh yes, I was saved by grace. But right now, my load is so heavy, I really don't know what grace is. Perhaps I can de de describe it here theologically. I can quote scripture at you but I'm not experiencing that grace. And somehow today, God is pointing this out to you and to me. And He's saying to you, please remember, you were saved by grace. You are saved by grace. You will be saved by grace. It is by grace you have been saved. Unmerited favor. Something you didn't earn, something you don't deserve, something that's free, free gratis. It is free indeed. You know, so many Christians are bruised, broken people. And Lord, we wonder why we're reacting, all, all the reactions. And why, why is the church known as sometimes the most ungracious group of people in the face of the earth? Why, why is the church known for, for things that we, we don't believe? <laughs> why, why is that? I, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in the other. That's what I don't believe in. But most people don't know what we do believe in. That I was lost. I was a sinner and still am, but boy, I'm being saved by grace. I was a failure. I could not make life on my own. I couldn't get through life on my own. I needed a Savior, and I encountered my Savior, whose name is Jesus. Christians are not all the people who have life together. Christians are the people who put their hands up and said, I have failed. I was a miserable lot. We're not upright, righteous people. We are sinners saved by the grace and mercy and kindness and love of a person whose name is Jesus. Please do never listen to the lie that Christians have it all together. That's the lie. But we follow the one who has it all together, whose name is Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. So grace for us as Christians should be something that's astonishing and astounding and marvelous and exciting. But we have to pull ourselves back and remind ourselves well, remind me of my past. Remind me of what you achieved on the cross. 
Remind me of who you are. Remind me of who I always have been. But I'm becoming a new creation. Remind me that I cannot get out of the bed in the morning without your grace. That I cannot speak without your grace. That I cannot operate without your grace. That is only by your grace. And we all know that we have an enemy. And this enemy works on us, I believe, much, much more when you become a Christian than before. And Jesus tells us these words in John 10.10. 10. It says this, The thief, the enemy, the liar, Satan, comes only to do what? To steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus came. So we have an enemy. We have one who speaks. We have one who reminds us. But we must realize that he is now the enemy. We must choose daily to live either according to what the enemy tells us or what the Word of God tells us. It is a daily choice. But we must, must grasp what grace is. We must grasp it every single day and not return to a life of slavery. Not, not, not to take up that yoke again, whatever that sin is, and allow it to drag us down. Allow us to be sad. Allow us to drop our head, to drop our shoulders, to stop sharing the great news of Jesus Christ, to living out and being an example of the great news of Jesus Christ. Our, our desire is that we as a church of open arms would be known for what we believe in. Him, whose name is who? Jesus. That's who we believe in. What did that crowd believe in? They believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is gracious and kind and loving. He's a Savior of the world. They're not against stuff. They're for stuff. And I want to tell you, when you tell people what you're for, you needn't tell them what you're against. They'll already know it. So please don't spend your energy telling people what you don't believe in. Spend your energy in living out and being an example of grace. Galatians 1.5 said, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And that, that word freedom means about to liberate. To liberate us. And, and liberate us in our mind. Because that's where the battle is. In our mind. In our hearts. I want to tell you, you can go to Montjoy Prison. You can go to Port Leash Prison and still be free. It's not about bars. It's about the condition of our mind and the condition of our hearts. We now belong to a new kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God, whose king is Jesus. So our enemy is not even the British, who might win the European championship, whether you like it or not. They're not the enemy. Nor the French, nor the Americans, nor anybody else. We have one enemy. His name is the devil, Satan, who is against us and wants to divide and conquer us. So Jesus has won the great victory on the cross. And we must follow the victor. Again, I'm going to remind myself again, Ephesians 2.4, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So I want, just for a moment, to consider, what is the Spirit of God saying to you right now? What's he, what is He whispering into your ear right now? What baggage are you carrying? What have you picked up? And I want you to take a moment. And wherever you are, I know some people who, who have to go to the cars to get a good signal. In your sitting room, in bed, wherever you are, 
wherever you're listening to this message, allow him to speak that word of what you have picked up. Could be something from your past. Could be something that just happened the other day. It could be that repetitive sin that keeps entangling you and you just can't get set free and it brings shame and guilt. Jesus wants you to take it and bring it to him again and say, Lord, I give you this person, I give you this situation, I give whatever it is, give it to him, surrender to him. And say, Lord, I surrender to your grace once again. I want to start fresh. I want to start clean. I, I want you to remind me of your marvelous, wonderful, glorious grace yet again. And if you're listening to me, listening to my voice, and perhaps you've never invited Jesus into your life, perhaps you've never encountered this marvelous grace that I talk about, if you want to close your eyes and just, just bow your head, because it's something, it's a heart condition. And, and I want you to pray these words with me. Lord, I come to you and I ask for your grace because I desperately, desperately need your grace. I need to receive something that I don't deserve, something that I cannot buy, something that I cannot pay back. So I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to make me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have said that prayer for the very first time, or perhaps you've recommitted your life, if you just, again, go to our website, openarms.ie forward slash connect, and there's a card there, and you can tick the book and say, I've committed my life to Jesus. Or perhaps I've committed my life to Jesus, and we want to help you take the next step. God bless you. Have a great week.